Welcome to Let's Talk OA, the podcast series on all things osteoarthritis. This space is designed for healthcare professionals to gather and learn from key world-renowned experts that dedicate their day-to-day in helping the lives of those living with OA. I'm Simon Fleming, your host for the series and a trainee orthopaedic surgeon in the United Kingdom. Hello and welcome back. Uh, today we're going to be talking to Professor Kim Bennell, joining us all the way from Australia about the importance of physical exercise in osteoarthritis treatment. Hopefully we'll be gathering some valuable tips to help our, our patients better integrate exercise into their daily activities, uh, what the keys to this, this kind of holistic, synergistic approach is between, between OA and exercise and what that looks like. Kim's an academic physiotherapist. She's the Redmond Barry Distinguished Professor, uh, the Dame Kate Campbell Fellow, and an NHMRC investigator in the Department of Physiotherapy at the University of Melbourne. She leads the Centre for Health, Exercise and Sports Medicine, and and her research has a real focus on non-drug, non-surgical management of hip and knee osteoarthritis, as well as ways to address and those evidence-based practice gaps, in particular around uptake of, of exercise and lifestyle interventions, not only by patients, but by clinicians as well. Kim has over 400 peer-reviewed publications, including uh, quite a few clinical trials. She's also on the board of the uh, Osteoarthritis Research Society International, uh, from uh, 2008 to 2019. And so after all that, without further ado, uh, welcome, Kim. Thank you very much, Simon. It's great to be here. And you're right, we're talking today about osteoarthritis. And in the past, I think we thought of it mostly as a disease that affected the articular cartilage, but we now know that it's much more than that and it affects the surrounding structures, including the muscles, the ligaments, the um, the soft tissue, and we know it particularly affects the knee and the hip. And as you know, your patients with osteoarthritis, they present, they have pain, complain of stiffness, have a lot of trouble with physical function. And whilst the condition can't be cured, there are actually effective treatments for osteoarthritis. The core treatments are the non-pharmacological, non-drug options, and they include exercise, which we'll be talking a lot about, weight loss, foot orthosis, bracing, cognitive behavioural therapy and other pain management strategies. But you can also use some drug strategies if those aren't enough, uh, including anti-inflammatory drugs and painkillers as well. But we know that drug management and drugs can have serious side effects. And so, you know, they're not to be taken lightly. And then obviously joint replacement, that's reserved for those people who have advanced disease who haven't responded to these earlier non-surgical treatments. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And and I suppose anecdotally, when I, I think about the patients I meet and the people I speak to, of course, we say, look, you know, you need to stay active. You need to keep your joints moving. And there's benefits to maintaining muscle mass and bone density. But actually, are there, are there any guidelines? Are there any clinical recommendations for exercise in a way? Yes, well, there's a lot of clinical guidelines from a number of different professional organisations and societies from around the world, such as the Osteoarthritis Research Society International, American College of Rheumatology, the European Alliance of Associations for Rheumatology, or EULA. 
And all of these different clinical guidelines, they have a lot of similarities. They do have some differences, but in general, they're relatively similar for a lot of their recommendations. And in particular, all of them recommend exercise as a core treatment for osteoarthritis. So they recommend that every person with osteoarthritis should be doing exercise, and that's regardless of how severe the person's pain is, how disabled they might be, how old they are, how many comorbidities they have. So essentially, as I said, all of your patients with osteoarthritis should be undertaking uh, exercise for their condition. So I, I guess that makes sense. You know, common sense tells us that in a disease where people get stiff, the more you exercise, the less stiff you're going to be. That feels like it's common sense. But from a scientific point of view, what are the actual benefits of exercise in an OA context? What does the research tell us about exercise in OA? Well, you're right. We all know that exercise is good for us, full stop. But for osteoarthritis, there's been numerous randomised controlled trials, which are our sort of top level of evidence, numerous trials that have investigated a whole range of different exercise programs for osteoarthritis and uh, we did a Cochrane review a few years ago of all of these different trials and basically the evidence does show and does support the benefits of uh, exercise for pain, shows that it does reduce pain, uh, it improves physical function, uh, it can also improve quality of life and what we see is that the benefits for pain and function are what we would call moderate in, in size and for quality of life, they're probably smaller. And whilst these benefits may be sort of small to moderate in size, in actual fact, what we find is that these benefits are about the same magnitude as you would get from taking painkillers or anti-inflammatory drugs. And so oftentimes clinicians and patients don't necessarily realise that they think that you know, if they're taking a, a drug or a pill, that must be much more effective than, say, exercise. But we know that the benefits are similar and yet uh, the side effects are much less. Also, there are another range of other benefits of exercise for osteoarthritis. Uh, we know that it improves psychological health and we know that people with osteoarthritis don't just have osteoarthritis, they often have a range of other problems and they can have depression and anxiety and we know that exercise in people with osteoarthritis can help with their mood and their well-being. It can also help uh, with body weight. Uh, again, people with osteoarthritis are more likely to have overweight or obesity. And the studies have shown that when you combine weight loss strategies with exercise, the benefits for pain and function are greater than when you just do dietary weight loss alone. So combining those interventions is more effective as well. And then also uh, exercise is very good for once you've lost the weight, helping to maintain that body weight. So there's a whole range of benefits that we get from exercise over and above our, you know, the general benefits for our heart and, and so forth. And I guess a, a common question I get from a lot of my patients, because patients with OA will tell you that their, their joints click and crunch and grind and make all kinds of weird and wonderful feelings and noises. And is it safe to do exercise if you have osteoarthritis? Yes. And that is a common misperception from patients and clinicians is that, that, they think that exercise, sorry, that osteoarthritis is a wear and tear disease, that it's caused because 
the bone's been worn and the cartilage has been worn and therefore they shouldn't be loading their joint and they shouldn't be exercising their joint. But in fact, that's not the case. And in actual fact, exercise has been shown to be safe for people with osteoarthritis. It doesn't increase the risk of disease progression. It doesn't increase pain. It, it doesn't have any major side effects, at, unlike drugs. And the side effects that you do see recorded in the clinical trials are generally just uh, mild or temporary uh, side effects that, that can you know, go away over time. And what we often find is that people might, when they first start exercising, have some pain while they exercise, but over time that settles down and then they, they get the benefits of that exercise program. So I think that's a really important point to, to say to people and to let them know that in actual fact exercise is safe for people with osteoarthritis and they should be doing it for, for all the benefits that we've just talked about before that. So, I mean, exercise is such a broad term, you know, everyone has their own idea of what exercise means. So if I say to a patient, look, you know, you need to do more exercise. What do I mean? What types of exercise can and, and should be undertaken by someone with OA? Well, you're right, Simon, there's a whole range of different exercises that are out there. And in fact, the, the trials have investigated a whole range of different exercises. They've looked at strengthening exercise, you know, lifting weights or going through range or um, you know, isometric exercise without movement, but certainly muscle strengthening exercise has been shown to be effective. Aerobic exercise such as walking and cycling is, is often a popular choice for the management of osteoarthritis of the lower limb and it's been shown to be effective. Aquatic exercise in the water is also good and some people really like that. It can be particularly useful for those people who have overweight or obesity where the buoyancy of the water is, is really good and it can be also good for those who might have more severe uh, problems or more problems with weight bearing and walking and so the water exercise might be particularly good. Balance exercise, we know that uh, people with lower limb osteoarthritis do have impaired balance and so having some uh, balance exercises can be appropriate as well such as you know, standing on one leg and and standing on foam. People have also looked at Tai Chi, and Tai Chi, again, is, is conditionally recommended for people with osteoarthritis, and that is a style of gentle sort of low-impact exercise that involves slow, controlled movements, and that can also be good for balance. Yoga, there's some evidence, uh, some limited evidence that yoga might be effective as well. And then we have sort of neuromuscular exercise, which is focused on sort of functional weight-bearing positions and emphasises sort of quality of movement and alignment of the, the trunk and the lower limb joints. But I think what we see in the literature is that essentially all of the exercises seem to have similar benefits. And so I suppose what that says is that it's important to choose the exercise that you prefer, that you want to do, that you're going to stick at, and perhaps also exercise that does address the impairments that you might have, um, the patient might have. So, you know, we do know that a lot of people have uh, weak muscles with osteoarthritis, so strengthening is often recommended as well as, that, as I said, the aerobic exercise, the walking and, and cycling and so forth. The other one I didn't mention was stretching, flexibility exercise, but that's not really looked at on its own and if you're going to do strength, strength, stretching and flexibility then you would combine that with other forms of exercise. So I suppose as I said the literature doesn't necessarily show that one exercise is better than another which 
is good because it means that you can take a very individual approach and can prescribe an exercise program that's going to suit the, the patient that you have with you. So I guess we've been talking about exercise as, as an intervention rather than as just, you know, a thing that's nice. So if we think of it as an intervention, there's got to be a, a certain amount of dosing, I guess, and kind of individualization to that. So what can you tell me about making the exercise dose, if you like, fit the patient? Yes, well, we don't yet know the optimal dose of exercise that's needed for maximal benefits. But I suppose what the literature does show, and as you said, it's, we're talking here about exercise as a, as a therapy, and it does sort of show that exercise that's prescribed according to exercise guidelines, such as those from the American College of Sports Medicine, do seem to give better outcomes, uh, particularly perhaps for sort of aerobic exercise. So it's important that the exercises are performed regularly, so at least three times a week and, you know, uh, is individualised to the patient. So for muscle strengthening exercise, you know, something like three lots of 10, three sets of 10 repetitions with those of a moderate uh, intensity of, in terms of the load. There was a study that was just published by Steve Messier and, and his uh, colleagues, and they didn't find any difference between high-intensity and low-intensity exercise. So, you know, the jury's out a little bit there. So I think what it does suggest, that, however, though, is you can still get benefits from, you know, lower-intensity exercise if the patient isn't able to, you know, build, isn't able to get to the higher-intensity exercise. Walking exercise, I mean, generally guidelines recommend that we get our 10,000 steps a day or so, but for people with osteoarthritis, that may not be achievable in the first instance, and there's some research that show that aiming for around 6,000 steps a day has uh, does lead to sort of improved function or at least you know, um, maintenance of function in people with osteoarthritis. So you may set some some more interim goals that the people the, the patients can sort of work towards. So I suppose again, as you said, it, it is individualised and it it's focusing what the patient uh, prefers, what the patient can um, access. No point. Um, suggesting they do a, um, a water aerobics exercise and there's no pool nearby or, again, it needs to be affordable as well. And, you know, if they try something and they don't find that acceptable, then I think what you do is you, you try something different so they can try a different form of exercise. And um, I think that's also good because the person's less likely to get just bored. They can sort of mix and match a little bit. So I think, you know, it's good to give the patients a little bit more guidance rather than, as you said before, just saying, well, go out there and do some exercise. I think it is good to give them some guidance about what they can do and how much they should do. And, you know, why don't you start off with you know, two times a week this week and lighter weights and let's progress that up and see how you go. I think that's important. So it's interesting. So kind of leading on from that, does it matter when you do it? Does it matter if you're supervised or can you just prescribe someone some exercise and then send them on their way? Again, it does depend on the person, but, you know, ideally it's good to perform the exercise under supervision to begin with and to have a, an exercise specialist uh, prescribe a program that is you know, suitable for you, taking into account all of your different impairments and, and as I said, preferences and so forth. So, you know, it, it can be good to have the supervision, but again, the research shows that there are similar benefits from um, individualised exercise versus group exercise versus home exercise. So again, uh, you know, 
different options for patients. So some patients may really like going to a group. They might like the fact that there's, you know, there's a, someone to supervise, but there's also that social interaction that they can get that helps with their adherence. So some people might really like the group setting. Other people find perhaps the groups, you know, doesn't suit them, doesn't, that's not at a time when they can make it or they prefer to do their own thing. So someone might prefer to do you know, their own home exercise or they may prefer to go to the gym or they may prefer to go to a Tai Chi program or class. So, again, uh, you know, some supervision can be good, especially for those people perhaps that are a little less, um, their self-efficacy or their confidence to exercise is lower or they may have more comorbidities and so you need to sort of take them more into account and to, to have a much more sort of personalised program. Whereas, as I said, other people can, can go very well with a very unsupervised program. So, for example, one of our PhD students, Rachel Nelligan, did a very nice study where she developed up a website called myneeexercise.org.au, which is a free six-month strength and exercise program. And she did a clinical trial and showed that that, that was very effective in improving pain and function. And that was a, a all totally self-directed exercise with no input. So I think, again, as we have talking before, it does depend on the person. So we're lucky with this podcast because we have people listening from all over the world. So I guess, you know, a really light question. From your point of view, what are the main tips or the general advice that you think we as, as doctors, as, as clinicians uh, across the globe, what should we be recommending to our patients? Well, firstly, I think it's really important that well, the language that we use instills hope and optimism in the patients because I think the problem is that many patients come to us feeling very negative and even the clinicians themselves are quite negative about osteoarthritis that there's not a lot that can be done and people are just going to have to you know wait until they get bad enough to need a joint replacement so I think using language that doesn't call it bone on bone that says you know gives them hope that there are treatments that they can try and there's a lot that they can do for themselves and they're you know we find that not Certainly not everyone gets worse at all. A lot of people may have some pain flares, but a lot of people will get better over time and, and they're not just headed down to having a joint replacement. So I think educating the patient about osteoarthritis is really important. And as I said, that it's not a wear and tear disease. And it's not just an inevitable part of getting older. Then I think it's really important to educate them about like we've been talking about, what are the benefits of exercise and what's its safety? Because what you want to do is get the patient on board and get them, uh, you know, fired up and, and um, enthusiastic to try the exercise because we also know that expectation of benefit really predicts someone's outcomes. So if you expect that you're going to have some benefits, then you're more likely to, to get benefits. I also think it's very important to um, have the person understand that it's normal for them to feel some pain or discomfort during the exercise. That's fine. It's not increasing their, um, you know, their osteoarthritis. They're not damaging the joint. Obviously, you don't want the pain to be really severe because that's not going to help uh, their adherence and you don't want it to lead to joint swelling. In that case, you may need to modify the program. But you need to let people know that it's okay to feel some pain and discomfort, that that's, that's, all, for, you know, that's all fine. But getting them to understand about the benefits of exercise is, is really important. Then I think another tip is that we know that sticking with exercise or adhering to a program, you know, is really quite difficult. We all know that. We start something and then we stop doing it and then obviously we're not going to have the benefits. So 
helping the patient work out what their barriers are or are going to be to exercise or what things are going to help them stick to exercise and then helping them come up with strategies that are going to help them change their exercise behaviour. And so some important behaviour change techniques are things like um, helping them set realistic goals, you know, smart goals, and um, helping them plan for for these to achieve these goals, giving them feedback, getting them to keep a logbook so that they can record their progress, you know, setting rewards and so forth. So all of these behaviour change techniques to help the person adhere to their program. And as I said, again, I think because this is a chronic condition, it is important to help the patient you know, with strategies that they can, can use themselves to help manage their pain. We've talked about exercise, but there's some also some really good websites from patient associations that can give a lot of good information and exercise recommendations. There's another one called arthralink.com, which is a multi-language platform as well. Uh, but I think really checking in on the patient as well. So, you know, seeing it a bit more like you might with your dentist where you come back for checkups. So you you send them on their way and then they come back, you see how they're going in a few months, set new goals and so forth. So I asked this question of, of everyone. Um, you know, in, in a nutshell, what's your take-home message for today? My take-home message is that every patient with lower limb osteoarthritis should be doing exercise as a core treatment for their, for their knee pain and their hip pain. Uh, I think that's the really takeaway message and that as clinicians, you know, we should be advocating for that before we give them a pill or suggest that they go off and have a joint replacement. So I think placing more of the emphasis on these core treatments such as exercise and weight loss and so forth uh, before we move on to those other treatments. I mean, that'll do. Thank you so much. I don't know about our listeners, but hopefully, you know, we'll hear less and less from patients. They are choosing that sedentary approach because they don't understand the benefits and the how and the why of exercise in OA. And hope, uh, you know, we've we've learned today that that actually exercise is key uh, throughout their osteoarthritis journey for them to both regain function, remain healthy and, and manage their symptoms. Thank you so, so much for joining us today, Kim. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next time. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Let's Talk OA, a podcast series brought to you by Laboratories Expand Science. We'll see you next time as we continue to learn more about osteoarthritis.